book of the book of Ruth. Turn to the book of Ruth. As has already been mentioned, we begin the Advent season with hope. So I want to make a great announcement. Maddie had her baby girl last week. Yeah. Joanna Joy. So, all are well at home, doing good, so we rejoice for them. Hope springs eternal in children. Thank God for them. Okay, we're going to, we're going to probably switch up how we typically move through a passage um, I'm not going to read the entire passage. I'm rather going to read it as we go through it in, in three sections. To do that, to, we'll uh, save a little time. So let's, uh, let's begin in prayer. Heavenly Father, again we give you thanks for the Lord's Day, for your creation of the Lord's Day. And uh, we meet here together as Christ's community church because we belong to Jesus, um, who is the Son of God, and by His life, death, and resurrection, You have saved us. And we give You thanks for that, and we are the people who truly have hope. Um... And we live in a world, we recognize God that doesn't have hope. It's honestly hurtful. Um, and so I pray that that hope within us would um, be stimulated to take effect in, in our life. And so, we give you thanks for new life and the new life that you've given into the Vanderhurst family. We rejoice for them, Lord, and pray that you'll be with them as they celebrate in a special way through the Advent season. Bless your people now, we pray and ask in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. Hope is a confident expectation. It does not imply uncertainty. Rather, it gives us great assurance. Biblical hope for us is a shining light in your soul of anticipation of what awaits us. When Jesus returns. And that light, of course, is the person of Christ. When you use the word hope, of course, in the English, it comes off as an empty wish, lacks anything but a security attached to it. But that's not the biblical view of hope. Jesus himself is the blessed hope. Romans 5.5 5 tells us that hope 
never disappoints. That means all that God has ever saved of the elect has never been disappointed in the hope that they have in Jesus. And so as we open this Christmas Advent season, we're going to do so through the lens of the book of Ruth. And we enter into the book of Ruth to a situation that looks hopeless in chapter 1. The Bible is always, you know, it's always very plain. Um, and it doesn't hold anything back. And it's easy sometimes to read aspects of the Bible as if God is sanctioning certain things. And that's why all of us have to be careful in our reading of the Bible is that we don't give it a wrong interpretation or that we apply things that are inappropriate and even maybe sometimes accuse God. It's very messy. Um, you know, you're, you read through the book of Genesis, you read through this opening chapter, and, and this is a mess. And it's really consistent because we're in a room full of mess right here at Christ Community Church. Thank God in all of our mess, God in His great grace stoops down to people who are undeserved and He saves us. And so you've got to pay close attention in this chapter. Um, we're going to come across things throughout the book of Ruth that we're going to obviously be tied to Advent, this morning being hope. Um, so you can kind of put this together. And so you, we can see and identify um, exactly what is happening. So I, I mentioned that we're going to go through this in three sections. The first section will be the first five verses, which is Naomi's problem. The second section will be verses 6 through 18, which is Ruth's promise. And then the third section, uh, 19 to the end of the chapter 1, verse 22, it's Christ's provision. Okay? So Naomi's problem, Ruth's promise, and Christ's provision. Scripture says this, In the days when the judges ruled there was famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephratites and from Bethlehem in Judah, they went to the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Chilion died. 
so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. A hopeless, hopeless circumstance. It's, it's difficult probably for us to grasp this circumstance, but Naomi has a problem here that she can't remedy. It's a situation of true um, desperation. Ruth opens there in the first phrase that in the days when the judges ruled there was famine in the land. So you flip back to the previous page, or maybe it's on your same page, to the last verse of the book of Judges that helps us to understand the circumstance that these people are in. It says, In those days there was no king in Israel. So they have a lack of direction. And everyone did was was right in his own eyes. There's the definition of chaos. You read the book of Judges, and it's a pretty chaotic circumstance. And so is this. So is this. So you have Elimelech, you have Naomi, you have their two sons, and eventually uh, what will be their two wives. But the scripture says here that when the judges ruled, there was a famine, and that famine is reflective of God's discipline. God was disciplining his, his people. Elimelech, by name, means this, my God is king. And I think what's significant here when we first look into this, Elimelech is in Bethlehem, God's promised land in Judah, and yet through the circumstance that he finds himself in, he picks up and goes to Moab. Now, if you recall anything about the Moabites, they are a breed of people from incestuous relationships that stem all the way back to Lot. So a godly man begins to get desperate, really disobeys clearly. We would want you to understand that the will of God here. He leaves the promised land because this famine is on him. I guess in one way you would consider him to be uh, you know, he's, he's desperate, but it's never correct to disobey the will of God. And that's what's going on here. And he's left in charge as the head of the household. And the famine that's on the land is, of course, God's discipline. And you might be thinking, you know, as he goes, well, you know, he had to go find food and water. Well, what he should have did was pray. Stayed right where he was. Bethlehem to Moab really is a descent that all of us as Christians can fall prey to. Lot is a circumstance, right? Um, in the book of Genesis, attaches himself appropriately to um, Abraham. And then Lot looks at the land of Mamre and sees it's well watered. And instead of rightly giving that fertile land over to Abraham, he says, I want that. 
He's driven by, by greed. And, you know, all of us as Christians, even as Christians, can fall prey to that. And, and I think Elimelech, while he would be certainly uh, looked at by some, well, you know, he's trying to do what he can do. He certainly is a follower of Yahweh. His name means, my God is king. But yet he sets his family off on a bad path. And subsequent to that, some bad things are going to take place that follow this. Now, while the Bible doesn't give us like all the great detail, I don't think you want to miss this. Certainly this book is going to become about Ruth and Naomi, and of course, eventually Boaz, which teaches things about Christ. But I guess what we want to understand about this particular setting is this desperation is so great, in all probability, Naomi's going to die. She has no one to provide for her. Um, she's not married. She's, she's clearly gotten older. And her sons had taken two wives from Moab. And I don't want us to miss this as well. As followers of Christ as followers of Yahweh, who is Christ, um, they take Moabite women, and at that time, they are not followers of Yahweh. Naomi will address Orpah and will tell her to go back to her people and to her gods as she uh, journeys back to Bethlehem. It is a... Obviously, what you would call a mixed marriage situation, but the only mixed marriage, because there's only two aspects of the human race, there's the redeemed and there's the unredeemed. And God's people are forbidden to marry the unredeemed. So you can read that section and think, okay, well, God, you know, he ordains this. No, he didn't. Never has. And let me just say this. That wasn't on at the time that it took place, Ruth nor Oprah. That was on his two sons. They were the followers of Yahweh. So don't misconstrue this, but you definitely need to get a grip on this so we understand the hopelessness of this circumstance. These people are the followers of Yahweh and they are disobeying God. It's exactly what they're doing. Now, we think of this, you, you, you make a comparison in, in Christianity and as we should, we stand against homosexual marriage and we stand against um, transgenderism, all these things that are really tied to one owns person's view of sexuality. But I want you to know, in America, this problem really, really, in the church began when the church accepted, and I'm talking about the church in general, marriages of believers professed with unbelievers and or, as we've deemed this other circumstance to be so an abomination, and, and it is to God, to accept people living together. When God has only ever ordained marriage. 
And in that context, sexual relationship. Guess who this lies at? Guess who's going to give, give an account for this at the judgment? It's going to go on the boys, but it's going to lay first on Elimelech. Because that's the place of order that God ordained it. Now, I don't know what that does to you inside. Because typically, I can tell you this as, as a pastor, um, everybody always runs to their own circumstance. can't tell you how many times through the years. And I know Alex, in his dozen or so years of pastoring, people come running thinking you're talking about them. I'm not talking about anybody. I'm talking to all of us. And what I'm trying to communicate here is it is never right, ever, to disobey the will of God, ever, as a child of God. That's why here we don't marry a professing believer with an unbeliever. Why? Because it disobeys God. And yes, does it put you in some awkward circumstances? You better believe it does. You better believe it does. It's happened in Alex's own family. It's happened to me and my own family. It's awkward. Um, but this is the circumstance, right? And as a result of that, Elimelech dies, Mahon dies, and so does Chilion. And, and in my mind, okay, in my view of what's taking place here, that happens as a direct discipline from God because they willfully persisted in their rebellion. They leave the promised land to go to the world. That's what took place. So Naomi here has this problem, and, and, and we can't underestimate the nature of this thing. It's catastrophic. Her husband dies, her sons die, and no one is there to provide for her. But hope's coming. I've done a, probably a handful of funerals in my life of people who have committed suicide. Um, all of them basically related to people who family members of our church, and then they ask me to do the funeral. And as you get into those circumstances, without uh, exception, I gain understanding of a person's circumstance. It's all tied to, they lose all hope. A hopeless people. I want to ask you this. Where does your hope lie? Is your hope in your career? Is, is your hope in the money you possess? Is the hope in your heritage? I want you to think about what's in your soul. And what are you clinging to?
So as this goes along here, we want to be clear about the first five verses. So the woman, verse 5, that's Naomi, was left without two, her two sons and her husband is a phrase of desperation, which is hard for us to comprehend in, in America. But to try to draw us into this, she thinks she's going to die. There's no hope around. Now, the second section here, which is Ruth's promise, it goes into a, a lot of things. I want you to notice the first thing. It says there in verse 6 that the Lord had visited His people and had given them food. Where? Back at Bethlehem. Back in the promised land. Sometimes, folks, when you're in a circumstance in life, we know the psalmist wrote to be still and to, to know that I am God. You just kind of, kind of stay in that same spot. Obey what you know to be the will of God and trust Christ. And not look at your circumstance and say, I'm going to do what I want to do. Well, if you do what you want to do and you genuinely belong to Jesus, you can sure bet you're not going to escape Him. So as you're sitting here, you know, we go through these confessions intentionally. There is no hidden sin to God. You may be faking your parents out. You may be faking your spouse out. I don't know. But you want to be clean. You want to come clean with God. Because your life is a mess apart from Christ. And so is mine. I'm saying that inclusively. So that's a great beginning place is to identify that. That's the place that Christ will come running to. So just as, before we transition to this Ruth's promise, no one could live in a homosexual relationship and, and be members of Christ's community church, you can't be a member of Christ's community church and live outside of the bonds of marriage. One man, one woman. It's weird you got to even define it. But the whole movement of, and I remember all the initials, LGBTQ or whatever, it's plus. They've put the plus on it to involve everything, whatever you want to give yourself to. That disobeys the will of God. But listen, there's no cleanness in this. If you're living in fornication, Hebrews says God will judge you. So, yeah, I'm an old man. I'm not here to harp on this. I'm begging for your life. It's a raft. You're on the, the sea of sin, and we're throwing rafts. Grab that sucker and get reeled in. Ruth's promise, though, transitioned this because there's good news here, right? In that, I can't, I can't define it well enough. The desperation of a hopeless circumstance for Naomi, she hears 
that the Lord has visited his people and, has, and he's given them food. He's given them food. The Lord has brought rain and from it comes food. We won't starve to death if I can just make it back. So, as you, as you unfold verse 6 through 18, it says, And when the, she arose with her daughters-in-law to return to the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited His people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughter-in-laws, and they went on the way to return, that's a significant word, return, to the land of Judah, but Naomi said to her two daughters, Go return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with, as you have dealt uh, with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and she lifted up their voices and, and wept. Obviously, it's a very an emotional time. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my uh, womb that they may become your husbands? She understands their desperate circumstance. And so she's telling, Don't come with me. I'm going to die. But maybe there's hope for you in Moab. She don't even get yet what's going on. Boy, ain't that true about the will of God. I've always found the will of God in her rears where God steered my bullhead away from my own stupidity. Turn back my daughters and go your way for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should say I have a husband this night and should bear sons. You know, I'm not going to have kids, you, can grow, you know, two, two more boys and they can grow up and marry you. Would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters. For it is exceedingly bitter for me for the sake of uh, that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Man, she's, she's recognizing that God's chastening is even on her. Then... They lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to be with her people and to her gods. That's Naomi about Orpah. Orpah goes back to Moab, starts a television show, and gets real rich. That's what, that's what Orpah does. But catch this, verse 15. Orpah goes back, Naomi identifies to her gods. You worship the pluralistic chemos. Guess what those people did? They offered child sacrifice. You know, when God's cutting off and killing people, entire nations, it's an act of mercy. So they don't perpetuate wickedness. But she's, you know, she's desperate. Just, you know, just go back. And let me just say this. I don't think that's good counsel. <laughs> but something happens here. 
Ruth gets converted. Some of you may have had this. It became, it's really a wedding song. I'm pretty sure my sister sang it in ours, though I can't remember what happened two weeks ago. My wife has a great memory. She couldn't remember. And I asked my sister and she can't remember singing it. So I've got a useless circumstance. (laughs) But this is really a song. Ruth looks at Naomi. Listen to Pat. Feel the passion of what's being displayed here. Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. Please, folks, as I read this, don't miss this. Yes, she loves Naomi, but something greater's happening. Something greater has happened. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people, who are the people of God, will be my people. And your God, my God. And where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. A young person struggling, thinking Christians are weird. And you know you know Jesus and you're grappling with the world. Don't be foolish, man. You're just setting up your your life for harm, hurt. Obey the will of God. Follow Jesus, man. Don't put on a front for your parents. Internalize this in your mind. Let it sink deep in your soul. And guess what? As you believe in Jesus, He's going to provide something within you that you can't gain any other way. And when life becomes so desperate and it crushes all of us because we're messed up. All of us. God makes chicken salad out of chicken mess. (laughs) Ruth gets converted. She's converted To the Lord, look at this, verse 17, may the Lord do so to me. That's that's the covenant word, that's Yahweh, that's the, the great I am, that's Jesus. She's converted, I don't want to stay in Moab, or I want to go with you, I want to go with God's people, and if we die along the way, I'm going to die with you. Ruth. Loves Naomi, let's be clear about that. But greater, now she loves Christ. And she promises that she's going to stick to her. Now I mentioned earlier that word return is significant. It's said to be used some 12 times in the chapter, but five times I think it's tied specifically to the concept of repentance. Return is significant because it means this, to turn and to go, to bring back and to repent. Naomi is repenting because she's been a part of the airing of her way, even though she was going with her husband faithfully. Please hear this. Repentance isn't a Christian cuss word that people don't 
in Christian groups want to tie to the gospel. Repentance is the way that leads you to God. Repentance is where I found freedom. Removal of the guilt and the shame that was on me. Our greatest need is to be reconciled with God and to remain there, to walk in that. Then these things are sweet. The key to repenting is to come clean. You know, I've always found this for people who get converted to Jesus. They don't care what anybody knows about their sin. There's no embarrassment. They just get clean. They get clean. And they get clean and they don't care what anybody knows because God saved them. Repentance is beautiful, man. It's good to repent. It's good to confess. It's good that we do it. It's good to experience it. Sometimes it's good to just get alone and and say what you are out loud to God. Say it out loud. And let the pain of that sting you and then taste the sweetness of the forgiveness. And there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. Orpah goes to her gods. Ruth's promise results from a confession of faith. Your people, my people. Your God, my God. Hear this. Folks, repentance and belief are the only right response to the gospel. Outside of that, you will only know judgment. And you'll go to the judgment. To your own eternal peril. Please repent. Please believe. The third area of this runs us to verse 19 to 22. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. They return to Bethlehem. The returning is significant because there is a repentance going on. Don't miss that. It's not just a moving of location from Moab to Bethlehem. They are returning to be with God's people because God has saved them. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? And she said, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Yeah, the the, the sting of sin is real. But he's providing for her, man. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. I think she's probably got that backwards. But we we sense what she's saying, right? She goes away with much. I mean, this dude's a this guy's a guy of means. You're not just wandering away from the promised land. The guy thinks he's going to make it on his own. 
Be careful, Dad. Be careful. Nothing wrong with money. Make all you can. David and Solomon were, you know, some of the richest people ever. Nothing wrong with money, but the love of money brings a form of destruction on your life. You want to know if you love your money? What do you give? What do you give to church? No, this isn't about that. We don't need your money. God has supplied. Boy, you folks are fixing to find out what that is at the opening next week. I can't wait to tell you about it. But I say this for you, Dad. Elimelech, hey, bro, you love your money? You think you love your family? You think you're providing for your family? You know, Haggai says God cuts their pockets. Don't love your money over loving Jesus. It'll be to your own pain. You know, I've, I've, I've known a lot of people. I'm so glad I had C.H. McGuire. Dad would show me how to give as a kid. Anyway, that's not in the notes. <laughs> but he was a beautiful man to me. Um, don't love your money. I think Elimelech did. It cost him his life. But the Lord is providing here. They've come back. Verse 22, and Naomi returned and Ruth, I love the Bible, Ruth the Moabite in the genealogy in Matthew, Ruth, or uh, Rahab the harlot, Kevin the filthy, wicked, yuckety yuck, all of it. who returned from the country of Moab, they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. The Lord has brought me back, Naomi says. She's stripped of her riches. Naomi returns. She repents. And here's, this is the beautiful place about repentance. You have nothing to offer God. Nothing. He's not impressed by you. He don't need you. But man, do we need Him. She's humbled, she's empty, she's honest. She feels the sting of her sin in this. And yet the Lord, in the most hopeless of circumstances, He provides. Bethlehem means house of bread. The barley harvest is through the rain, God brought bread. The Lord provides for His people. Naomi and Ruth survive as we will see in the coming weeks. They live. They live. I want to talk to you about a couple things before we close. In hope, hope is, has come. It's come already. Because a thousand years later, a couple enters Bethlehem. It's Joseph and Mary. The Son of God is born. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the house of bread 
God sent the bread from heaven. And if you will taste of Him, you will never be hungry again. Ever. Hope has come already. Hope was born in Jesus. Now that for us is still behind. Hope is, in one way, not yet. That's why we're sitting here. That's why there's this expectation. That's why there's this light burning within you that when life presses you into a circumstance that you can't think you're going to get out of, the union with Christ arrives, letting you know that you have hope. Ours is a hope that isn't looking to the 1950s and back. Shame on that. It wasn't that great back then. And if you're living in that vein, you're not living the way God intended to give you your Christian life. Hope presses forward to more glory, to a greater grandeur that awaits us. It's right in front of us. It's near. Something greater has come. Something greater is coming. Beyond what I can see. Beyond what our foolish minds can think. Jesus will bring salvation. And Christ will bring new creation. No famine. No loss of relationship. No rebellion. No death. When hope arrives. Hope has come already. Hope is to be realized. Not yet. We as those who belong to Jesus, we wait with an expectation. And when He comes... Jesus is going to pour in and pour out lavishly His grace upon the whole world after the final judgment. And those who belong to Him will, will realize the hope that saved them that did for me some 50 years ago. Jesus, come today. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for Your Word. You're the only true hope that's in this life. Nurture Your people in this truth. Help those that don't know You even now in this room to really evaluate in an honest way where they stand before You. And where does their hope lie? Because apart from Christ, all hope is false. Save them. Holy Spirit, give them life. Convict them of their sin. Convince them of the truth of the Gospel. Help them to understand who Jesus is and what Jesus did and to trust in Christ alone to save them. We pray in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.